How is everybody this morning, huh? You guys doing well? Good, 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 good. So uh, this is the final week of our Advent series here, um, and I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, I have thoroughly enjoyed hearing um, Pastor Stephen and, and Ted go through some of these, uh, these themes that we have uh, during the Advent season. Our first week, uh, we, we kind of did an overview of the, um, of the, the different topics that we would, we would be going through, and we said that uh, both hope, joy, um, peace, and love are heart conditions, Okay, these, are, these are conditions of a believer's heart in response to the promises of God. This is what the believer's heart should produce. And uh, that, that second week here, Pastor Stephen shared from 1 Corinthians, Psalms, Isaiah, Luke, um, and we came to the conclusion that joy is the glad heart attitude um, of the, uh, the glad heart attitude of the believer who reflects the reality of the gospel Ted shared last week um, from Philippians and Isaiah, and we came to the conclusion uh, that true peace is the heart attitude of someone who trusts in God and responds to his promises. Now, all three of these, hope, peace, and love, um, uh, hope, peace, and joy, all three of these, we have said that there is only one source that these can come from, okay? These are not uh, these are not man's strivings, okay? It is, it is not man trying to be good enough. Uh, all of these have a single source, and that source is, is God. Um, we would not know hope apart from God. Uh, we would not know peace apart from God, and we would not know joy apart from God. Thankfully, this morning with love, um, I, have, uh, I have been uh, blessed with a passage here um, that says that God is love. Therefore, God is also the source of, of all love. Um, and love is another one of these words that in English, uh, we, there's a lot of things that we can love. And, and those of you who know me, um, you know I have many, many loves. Um, in my life, uh, according to the English des- the definition of the term. Um, many of you know that I love to fish, okay? I, I love fishing. I'm just getting it out of the way because all of you make fun of me for, for mentioning some of these things. You know I love my Philadelphia sports teams, okay? You know I love them. Um, it, does, uh, it does borderline sin um, at times, uh, my love for, uh, for my Philadelphia sports teams, um, but, but that is another love in my life. Um, I, I actually don't talk from the pulpit much about this next love in my life. Um, but I do talk to many of you about this love in my life. I'd like to call my wife up for a second. Come on. Come on up. So this is my wife, Julie. Everybody say hi, Julie. Uh, Julie, I love you. I know you love me. Um, so uh, I want to tell you a little bit about our story, okay? Um, our story has a little bit of an unusual uh, beginning. Um, I can remember the very first time I saw my wife. Um, it was uh, the fall of 1998. 
I was a freshman at Baptist Bible College, now Clark Summit University, uh, and I was late for something. It's a shock, right? Um, I was late. Um, I was running late. I was, I was disorganized. Um, I had a bunch of things in my hand, and there was a family that was standing uh, right down by the student center, those of you who are familiar, uh, right as you kind of come around the bend in front of the dorms there. Uh, I like to say by the light post, but in all actuality, it was, it was by a trash can. Um, but we don't mention the trash can. Um, but, but they were standing there. And uh, this current student was there. And the current student said, Oh, Billy, I would like to introduce you to, uh, to my mom, Barbara, my, my father, Roger, and my sister, Julie. And I said, great to meet you, I'm late. And I ran. It was the very first time I saw my wife. It was not love at first sight, okay? It was not like, you know, the world stopped and there were butterflies and... No Hallmark movie, no Hallmark, it is the the season of Hallmark movie. No, it was not a Hallmark movie. She didn't then, you know, raise her hand and all of a sudden there was an engagement ring on her finger and I was like, oh, you're engaged. Um, No, there was was nothing nothing like that, no Hallmark movie. Um, But um, it was the beginning of, of something. Now, Julie was not yet at college. Um, she, was a, she was a senior in high school, and um, I was a freshman in college there, uh, and she came the following year. Um, again, I was not anticipating her coming, not waiting for her to come, not, you know, anticipating this great reunion of our, of our awesome meeting uh, that we had. Uh, you know, I was not pining for her for an entire year. Um, she actually came to school and started dating one of my friends. Uh, now, I had a rule, okay? If you dated one of my friends, you didn't exist, okay? Um, I, I had this, this, you know, friendship thing with, with other guys that I didn't want there to even be a hint that there was an interest in, uh, in the, the person that they were dating. So we did, really didn't interact much. Um, but in God's providence, uh, he saw fit to break up that, relationship. Um, And I had made a commitment. Um, I would call it a loose commitment. It was actually more of a bet uh, with two other students at the college that I would not date for a year. Um, But Julie was single. And I was single. And one night, um, she was coming home from church, walking home from Heritage Baptist Church. Uh, It was dark it was late, and I was in a car full of gentlemen, and um, I said, you know what? She shouldn't be walking alone, being a chivalrous guy. She shouldn't be walking alone. I said, hey, pull over. Pulled over. I got out of the car, and I walked back with you, right? Innocent. Simple, innocent. Honestly, there were no real ulterior motives other than the fact that I saw someone walking by themselves, and I wanted to, I wanted to be nice. They know me well. No. Uh, you can't sit down yet. Um, so this is one of the things that I love about my wife. Um, my wife is, um, she has an underdog mentality. Okay, she, she really does. Um, I think it stems from the fact that in, in high school, your two major sports were uh, volleyball and, and basketball. I mean, those were the sports that you played the most. 
Um, you look at Julie's stature and height, and she is not the prototypical volleyball or basketball player, but she is scrappy, okay? She is scrappy. Um, so anyway, our relationship, uh, our relationship progressed, um, and uh, I eventually asked you to do a, uh, an event with me. Um, there was a car accident um, that we were both involved in. It was my fault. Um, and then there was uh, officially asking her out on a a date. Um, and that date would then um, result in many more dates. And then eventually, uh, I would muster up enough courage and enough money um, to, uh, to ask you to, to marry me, right? And in just under a week and a half, in just under a week and a half, or maybe even exactly a week and a half, you and I will celebrate 20 years of being married. Now, Julia, I think you would say that our love has, has grown over the years, right? I mean, there was that initial, you know, meeting and things like that, but there has been a, a depth to our love. And I think part of that depth is the fact that we spend a lot of time together. Um, we are um, inseparable at times, um, and that's a good thing. Uh, that we are inseparable. But we have a unique relationship with one another that is founded in this idea of, of love. But it is not by our own striving. Because again, I know myself. And I know I am hard to live with. I know that there are things about me that annoy my wife. Um, there are very few things about my wife that annoy me. But I know that there are many things about me that annoy my wife. But our love required me, in order to grow our love and you, it requires action. We can't just stop at words. It requires spending time together and being with one another. And eventually, others will see that and identify us as together, as one. You would agree. Good. Have a seat. Ladies and gentlemen, my love. See, the story of relationships is, is that, that there is an action that is required in relationships. We can't just stop at just lip service, okay? There is a, a fellowship in this, in this relationship. There is an uh, abiding together that, that happens. Um, and, and again, for, for the last 20 years, Julie and I have uh, abided together or abode together. I don't know what the word is um, because I'm not an English major. Um, but we have lived together. And therefore, people then look at that and say, oh, they're the mulligans. They are Pastor Billy and Julie, or as I like to say, PB&J. Um, they, are, they are one, okay? You like how I snuck that in there? You like that, Caleb. Okay. So again, there had to be some sort of action. Love requires action. Our big idea for today is that the true believer's heart must reflect God's love to the brethren. And when I say brethren, I mean family of God, brothers and sisters in Christ, okay? And that is going to be key to understanding this passage in 1 John that we're going to look at. So turn with me to 1 John chapter 1 here, or I'm sorry, 1 John chapter 4. A believer's heart must reflect God's love 
to the brethren. A true believer's heart must reflect God's love to the brethren. So in uh, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, um, John starts off here and he says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Now we have to back up a second. We have to understand why John is writing this letter to these house churches in Ephesus here. Um, The real issue that they're facing is that in Ephesus, there were a group of individuals, uh, most historians believe uh, from the writings of, of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, that these were Jewish individuals who came into the midst of these house churches, heard what they were preaching, and then decided to preach their own message. And that message was that Jesus was not king, Jesus was not the Messiah, and that they were all wrong. And when they had come in and preached these things to these churches here, uh, they did it in a way that wasn't just, hey, I would like to have a discussion. It was harassing, hateful, and hurtful. These were loud individuals. They were loud and proud, okay? Now, today... In our world, we would have no idea. Uh, we have no idea when someone is, uh, is, is dead wrong that they get, they get louder, right? I mean, I mean they, they tend to get louder, and, and it seems like that's all we hear about nowadays are the, are the wrong thinkings of this world because people get loud. And that's what's going on in these, in these house churches here. These Jews have come in, and they are saying, no, Jesus is not king. Jesus is not the Messiah, You guys are wrong, and they are very adamant, loud, harassing in their approach to this. So what does God inspire John to do? To write about love. To write about love. We're talking about love this morning, right? Love in these 14 verses here is mentioned depending on your translation, okay? Depending on, on what you have in the, on the paper in front of you. Love is mentioned more than 25 times in these 14 verses here. Do you think that John is concerned about love here? This may be the most love-saturated as far as number count in 14 verses in all of Scripture here. But John's going to talk about love, and love specifically, and this is so key to understanding this passage, love for those who are in Christ, okay? You can completely misunderstand this passage if you try to apply this to everyone in general. John is concerned about the fellowship inside the church here. He is concerned about the hearts of believers here towards other believers. Okay, John will talk about the world here in this passage. But when he is writing, he is writing specifically to those who are in Christ. To brothers and sisters in Christ. 
and his charge to them. He says, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. You see, just before this, John encourages the church to test the spirits. He says, test the spirits. If someone comes from the outside and they are making a plausible argument, if they are coming in and they're starting to make sense, but they deny Christ, don't have anything to do with them. They are not in Christ. If you're sitting here this morning and you are not in Christ, this is a heart check for you. If you have not yet come to the fact to believe that Jesus is king, that Jesus is Messiah, you're going to have to check your heart this morning because this message, it's not for you. You're on the outside. John is giving the church here the tools to be able to identify who should be listened to. And the key characteristic that he chooses here is the love for the brethren. For love is from God. God is the source of our love. Whoever has been born of God knows God. Verse 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. See, John, um, John is not like Paul here. Okay, John is going to uh, regurgitate these, um, these thoughts over and over again. It's kind of like a, a washing machine. He's going to come back and constantly recycle and recycle. These are all thoughts that we're going to flesh out in this message today. But the key to everything that he is saying here is that God is the source. It is not man's wisdom. It is not man's uh, internal fortitude. It is not man just merely choosing to love. The key identifying factor for those who are in Christ that John presents here is a love for the brethren. And he's going to flesh out why here. A couple of key observations here. Uh, John practices what he preaches. Okay, He starts off with the word, Beloved. He looks at his, his, his congregation here, this, this church that he's reading to, and he says, I love you. You are precious to me. You are uh, at the forefront of my mind. My concern is for you. But in verse 9 here, he's going to get more specific. He's going to say, in this love, God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into this world so that we might live through him. The first point that we see here is that love requires action. Okay? You have love's action as your first point in your, in your outline here. God sent his son. That is an action that God has done to show his love toward you and I. Why? Because we deserved it? No. Because, uh, you know, he had to do it? Maybe. In order to justify his word, maybe you could make the case. He did it 
Because God is love. I don't, want you to under, I don't want you to misunderstand here. God is so much more than love, but love at his core, it's foundational to his character. It is foundational to who God is. God is love, and he shows that love to us by sending his son. And this is what we celebrate, right? This is what we celebrate in the first advent. The fact that God came down, that the love of God shone down to men, that the light of the world has come, and this is love, that we didn't deserve it. He chose to do it. In this God is love, uh, God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love that we have not loved, I'm sorry, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. You see, we have two different acts here that God does to show his love towards us. First, he sent his son. He sent his son. God became flesh. Emmanuel. God came down and dwelt among us. This is key to understanding the love of God. Why is it key to understanding the love of God? Because God took what was precious, perfect and holy, and placed it in a garbage heap. How many of you have something you treasure? Is it, just, is it just thrown? I mean, do you, do you just discard it? Do you not protect it? Do you not care for it? God showed his love to us in this, that he took what was precious to him, perfect and holy, placed it in a garbage heap, and sacrificed it for something that was worthless, flawed, and common. You and I. That is love. That is what God is. That is not what human beings are. See, human beings, when we hear the word love and we think of action, we think of making someone comfortable. We think of being their their concierge. We want to take care of every need that they have. We are their housekeeping. We want to make sure that everything is perfect for them so that they are happy. And that's love. I mean, that, that just describes every day in our household, right, dear? I mean, when you come home after school, like, the house is perfect for you. Happy wife, happy life. You know, I just, I just do everything I can to just serve my wife and make her happy. That is not love. That is not the love that God has for us. His love is sacrificial towards us. An interesting little side note here, um, and a rabbit trail that I think is worth worth taking here. Um, I did not know this, okay, before I started studying this. So again, if you do not know, please do not feel stupid because I am the dumbest person. In, no, I'm kidding. Um, so don't don't feel don't feel dumb. Um, where is the word love first mentioned in the Bible? I mean, come on, God is love, right? I mean, it's got to be, it's got to be somewhere at the, the beginning, right? Guess, somebody, 
just take a blind shot in the dark. Jacob loved Rachel. Jacob did love Rachel. Isaac and Rebekah, okay, maybe. Song of Solomon. Somebody else, one more. Who got it? Adam and Eve. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. Verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. First mention of the word love in the Bible. An insanely weird story, right? I mean, from a world's perspective. An insanely strange story. You have, you have God who, who says, hey, Abraham, you're worthless. You're not worth anything. You're just some guy. You're some guy. I'm going to say, you know what? I'm going to make you something. I choose you. You did not choose me. I am picking you out of the entire world. Abraham, I have chosen you. And through you, I am going to produce a great nation. I am going to bless that nation. And through that nation, all other nations will be blessed. Imagine being Abraham for a second. You wake up that morning. You're just being Abraham, doing Abraham things. And all of a sudden, the voice of God says, boom, I got a plan for you, and I am turning your world upside down. What do you do? You follow, like Abraham did. But this is the first mention of love in the Bible. And God has promised you a great nation. He has promised you specifically, as we'll see in Hebrews in a second, specifically that this great nation is going to come through Isaac. And then God is going to say, hey, listen, you know that son that I promised you? You know that son that you've been waiting for? You know the son of the old age? The son that I would say, that I said your line will come through? I want you to take him. And this is what I want you to do. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him as a burnt offering. On the one mountain which I shall tell you. So Abraham arose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering. And he rose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted, uh, lifted his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to the young men, stay here with the donkey. And I and the boy will go over there and worship and come back to you. Now hang on, God. Head's starting to hurt, God. Okay? You chose Abraham. You gave him a son. You said, through that son, a great line will be, purchased, uh, will be, will be made. And now, you're saying to kill that son. 
this seems a little counterproductive. I mean, at the very least, right? Counterproductive from the world's perspective. A crazy story. People have taken this story and been like, oh, our God is mean. Like, why would he do that? Why would he give Abraham the desire of his heart and then tell him to go kill Isaac? This is mean. This is cruel. This is cruel and unusual punishment. Why, God, why? But let's look at Abraham's heart. There's many aspects of this story that we can dive into, okay? There's many, many word pictures here that we can look at. I want to look at the the heart of Abraham. When he hears the word, what does he do? He gets up early in the morning, saddles up his donkey, and goes. He cuts the wood. He takes two people with him. He prepares to go. He's got three days, a three-day journey. Does the Bible here ever once say that Abraham wavered? Does it say he was scared? Does it say he was disgruntled, upset? No, what does it say of Abraham? What's the last thing we read? (laughs) I and the boy will go over there and worship and come back to you. Abraham had hope. Abraham had a peace about what God said. And Abraham knew that he was going to worship God. There was a joy in his heart. This is the heart condition of Abraham here. How do we know this was the heart condition? Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17. It's a long rabbit trail, I'm sorry. But I do think it's, I do think it's worthwhile here. Because I think we see an excellent picture of how God loved us. The action by which he loved us. Hebrews 11, 17 says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise was uh, to, act, uh, to act of offering uh, of his only son. Whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offering, offspring be named. Which is Genesis chapter 21, verse 12. He considered that God was able to even raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did. And he received him back. Guys, I don't think it's any mistake that this is where love is first mentioned in the Bible. Okay, I don't think it's a happy coincidence here. I think what it says, God is love, And it talks about the actions of God. The fact that he sent his only begotten son. His one and only son whom he loved. Whom he held precious into this garbage heap of a world. And the fact that Abraham took his only son. Again, same Verbiage there. Whom he loved and was willing to sacrifice him. These are the same actions of love. 
God is showing us in the Old Testament what his plan was for us. What his act of love was going to be. And through Isaac, all nations would be blessed. Why? Because Isaac was such a great guy? No, because Isaac did so many great things. You read Isaac's life, guess what? Everything that Isaac did was done for him. Go back and read it. He needed a wife. What did Abraham do? He sends somebody out. Oh, look, I got a wife. (laughs) This is the guy who's ready to die probably at least 20 years before he actually dies. Isaac's not this this great guy who's just super smart and he's going to bless everyone. No. God is the source. And through Isaac, through Isaac's line, we would someday get the Savior of the world. And we hop back to to John chapter, uh, 1 John chapter 4. That he would be the propitiation for our sins. Now think back to Isaac. Isaac was going to be offered as a sacrifice, a burnt offering unto the Lord. See, God loved us so much that unlike Abraham, God didn't say stop. He didn't say stop. He said continue. In the darkest moment where the father had to look away, the father had to turn his back, the father couldn't say Stop for that thing which he held precious, that thing which he held dear. That thing was worth so much more than what he was getting in return. See, the love that God has for us, the action that he has for us, the the commitment that he has to us is that God put our well-being above his own. And as fathers and mothers, we do the same for our children. What John is going to tell us here, though, is that love is inside of us. And not only is that love reserved for fathers and children, but it's reserved for brothers and sisters as well. Let's continue reading here. 1 John chapter 4, verse 13. Belo- uh, I'm sorry, verse, uh, verse 11 here. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. Again, John is just reiterating something that he built a case upon in his gospel. John chapter 1, verse 18. He says, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us. And his love is perfected in us. Now we have to step back for a second again. Read it one more time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. What was the big issue that the people of John's time were dealing with? People from the outside saying that Jesus was not Lord. 
hatefully saying that. And he says, if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Remember, guys, this is what we're, what we're talking about. The love for the brethren. The love that exists inside of the fellowship of believers. When there is outside influence, how do we figure out if they are supposed to be inside? It's their love for those who are inside. Why? Because there is something inside of us. He uses the word perfected in us. I would caution you in how you define that word perfected. I would use the word completed or accomplished. That this is the culmination of the acts of love that God has given us. That he can abide in us. That when people see us, They see the love of Christ in us. The love of Christ that we have for one another. What does does the gospel say? How will all men know that you are my disciples? By your what? Love for who? One another. By your love for the world? No. By your love for God? John's going to make a case for that here in a second. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. Now, I want you guys to look around the room. Go ahead. Don't be shy. I know you like looking at me. I know I'm pretty. Um, No, look around the room. I'm looking for somebody who isn't looking. Okay, good. You guys are looking around the room. Good. I was going to call you out. I'm going to call you out. Okay, good. What did you guys see? I saw Bob. Yeah. I saw Sabrina. I saw Caleb. Caleb gives me a thumbs up. Is that what you saw? See, John is encouraging us to something deeper here. He's saying when we look at each other, when we identify whether we're inside or outside of the body of Christ, when we love one another, it is the fact that love abides in us. The fact that we were given something to be able to bind us together, to keep us together. And that thing that keeps us together is the spirit that was given to us. And through that spirit, It produces love. See, the way to identify what love is, is to look at its actions. But to find out where love is, you need to look at what's inside the person. Where does love abide, according to these verses? Love now abides in you and I. We abide in Christ. Here he's going he's to continue here in verse 14. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. 
So if we have come to know and to believe that God, uh, that the, uh, believe the love of God has for us, God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. Remember we talked about this, this spin cycle that, that John's on here? He creates his own little whirlpool here. And he says, listen, when I see Gretchen Carter in the back there, everybody turn around and look at Gretchen. When I see Gretchen Carter back there, do I see Gretchen Carter? Absolutely. But when I realize that I am connected to Gretchen Carter in a special way, is realizing that Gretchen Carter has the Spirit of God inside of her. And I have the Spirit of God inside of me. And what connects us is our love for one another through the acts that God has done for me because of the acts. See, we have to be plugged into the source, the fact that God is love. It is not because I'm such a good person that I love Gretchen, and Gretchen is such a good person that she loves me, and we love our church so much that we just bind together, and we say, you know what? The gates of hell will not prevail against us. It's because we love with a love that we have been shown. The actions that we have been shown. And that love now abides in us. So when these people of these house churches were seeing these individuals who were coming in saying, hey, Jesus isn't Lord. Jesus isn't the Messiah. It was very easy to identify them and say, you know what? You're harassing us. You're mean. You're ugly. Whatever. You don't know God. God is not in you. But how will we identify by what is on the inside? Love is foundational to the character of God. And if we do not have love, we do not know God. Let's continue here. So we've looked at love's action, love's abode. How do we move forward as love's ambassadors now? How do we live in this world of sin How do we move forward together, not bound together in our own striving, but bound together in the love of Christ? Verse 17, by this love is perfected, again, completed or accomplished, with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, uh, because as he is also, we are in the world. Now this can be a confusing verse here, but we've already talked about the first advent, the initial acts of God, that God sent his son to be pierced for us, to suffer for us in this garbage heap. But John says here, love is completed or accomplished with us. Why? so that we could have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is in us, also we are in the world. As he is here, also are we. Remember what I said, Jolyn, when I see you, I see Christ in you. Because he is in you. Because he's given, your, he's given you the spirit. When you see me, you see Christ in me. 
You see the Spirit. He is with us. He has promised us that he will never leave us or forsake us. This should give us joy. This should give us peace. This should give us hope on the day of judgment. The fact that the work of love was completed. That Jesus Christ took our sin to the cross. That he suffered, died, and was buried. And on the third day he rose again. So that on that day when we stand in judgment... What is our reaction? Verse 18. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. The day of judgment. This is why I said at the beginning that if you don't know Christ... If you don't believe he's Messiah and Lord, this message is not for you. Because on that day of judgment, there will be fear. There won't be love. There won't be confidence. There won't be hope. There won't be joy. In studying for this message, uh, again, this is probably going to be... uh, I'm not doing too bad. Um, Probably going to be an hour-long message here. Um, I just... Warning you, 40 minutes into it now. Uh, but uh, 43 or 44 minutes into it. But um, I've read so much more scripture here than what we're sharing this morning. My encouragement to you, go and read Hebrews 11, 12, and 13 this week. Go read 11, 12, and 13 this week. And read about all of the saints of old and their faith. And read about Esau and his birthright. And how even through tears, when he wanted to take back the fact that he sold his birthright, he was unable to. On that day of judgment, even through tears, there will be some who say, Lord, Lord, haven't I cast out demons in your name? And there will not be mercy. There will be condemnation. But what? does John say here? Perfect love casts out fear. See, Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. But he is in us if we abide in him, in his love. If we allow the gift of his spirit to transform our heart condition. What are the three first fruits of the Spirit that everybody remembers? Love, joy, and peace, right? This is the heart attitude of the believer. And the greatest of these is is love. Love is the very core characteristic of God. It needs to be evident in our life. And if Roger has God in him, if Roger has the spirit in him, I need to look at Roger. And I need to say, you know what, Roger? I love you because of Christ in you. There should not be bickering. It should be obvious. But again, we don't do it on our own striving. Verse 19, we love because he first loved us just like Abraham. Abraham did nothing to deserve it. 
God said, Abraham, today I choose you. Every one of us sitting here, same story. There's nothing deserving in you. He loved us first. He is the one that has shown us love by his actions. If we abide in him, we can be his ambassadors. Verse 20, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Again, he's going to build on a, on a premise that he started before. He says, no one has seen God. No one has seen God. Moses. Somebody's going to say, oh, Moses. Well, Moses kind of saw God. He didn't see God. He saw God's back. You know the interesting thing about Moses, though? When Moses saw God's back, what happened to Moses when he came down off of the mountain? He glowed, right? He was transformed because he was in the presence of God. Pastor Stephen, uh, last week or, or two weeks ago, talked about this idea of the sun and the moon. And the idea that the moon in and of itself has no light, but it reflects the light of the sun. This is the very picture when it comes to God's love. There is no love in us apart from God for one another. It doesn't exist. We cannot see God. But God, in his infinite mercy, has sent his son to be manifest in the flesh here to us that we may see love. And today, if we are given his spirit, we see his love in one another. So there is no way, there's no way I can look at Levi and say, Levi, I hate you. I hate you. It's an utter impossibility. Why? Because Levi has God in him. We are connected. We are bound together. How can you say, how can you hate your brother and say, I love God? impossibility. Guys, this is meant to be such an encouragement to us. As we wait, as we wait for the second advent here, not only do we have our source of God, who is the source of all love that we need to be plugged into, but he has given us a great gift in his spirit that we now as brothers and sisters in Christ can bind together in love by the power of the Holy Spirit through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross by the plan of God to move forward together. Again, not by our own striving and moving together in anger and, and fear and, and intimidation as those on the outside do, but in love. So countercultural, so counter to what the world tells us that we're supposed to do. We're supposed to yell, like I'm yelling. I always yell. Um, but we, we yell from the rooftops. We want to be heard. As a young man, eighth grade, I sat where you're sitting. And this is how I personally know this is true. I believe the word of God is infallible. Um, this is how I've seen it play out in the lives of believers. As an eighth grader in South Jersey, Cherry Hill, New Jersey, I sat in a, uh, in a church service for the first time, and I heard the gospel preached. 
And uh, as an eighth grader um, who was used to a church service of about a half hour, um, an hour and a half was a little, a little much for me, okay, just to say the least. Um, I think a half hour in, you guys were still singing, and I was like, these people are dumb. That was my first thought. People are dumb. They don't know how to do church. You go and you leave. Like, that's the point. You did your duty, and you go. Half hour, hour goes by. Hour and a half, finally this guy who's up there, his name was Dave Marks, the guy up there, is finally done talking, which some of you are waiting for me to be done talking here today. But he's finally done talking. And in true eighth grade fashion, he gets done praying and he says, amen. And I shoot up. I'm like, I turn to my parents. We lived in Philly at the time. I turn to my parents. I'm like, let's go. Let's leave. And much like our church here now, um, you could see into the auditorium, or into the, we called it the narthex back then, okay, an old word that we used. Uh, we could see back into the narthex, into the lobby there, and I could see the doors to get out. And I stood up, and I turned around, and I swear we were the only people in probably the last six years who didn't know Christ to step into that church. But there was a line of at least 50 people that were waiting to meet us. And I was like, what? And I remember looking at those doors. And I'm like, that's where I want to go. I want to get out those doors. And I remember going, hi, how you doing? Look at the door. Hi, how you doing? Look at the door. Hi, how you doing? Look at the door. And about the seventh person, I realized those doors weren't opening. And I looked around and people were talking and hugging and enjoying being together. And I was like, this is weird. I was like, this is really weird. And again, my first earthly thought was, again, how stupid are these people? Go home. Like the eagles are going to be on. Go home. And I don't hesitate in saying this. But I believe God gripped my heart at this point because this was not my own thought. My thought was, do these people actually like each other? Like being together? And that was a foreign concept for me to connect church with this idea of the fellowship of believers. Several weeks later, I would, I would learn in the Gospel of John that all men would know that, that you are my disciples by your love for one another. You see, I realized I was an outsider. I was looking at this picture from the outside. I, didn't, I, I couldn't join in to this fellowship because I did not have the Spirit of God in me. And guess what I was? I was scared. I was scared. Had I been, leaving, had I been living and believing a lie my entire life, what initially drew me in to Christ was the love that the believers had for one another. 
Not because they were so great. Not because they bound together and they said, oh, you know, we're going to do this on our own. It's because they abided. They abode, whatever, in Christ. And Christ abided in them. That love, they abided in love. They were united in love. You know what, in between these two advents, we need to look at our heart condition. We need to say, what am I conveying? Am I hopeful in the imminent return of Jesus Christ? Where is my joy found? Is it found in nothing but the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, the great news of Jesus Christ? Where's my peace? Am I constantly at odds? Am I constantly fearing? Am I praying? Am I relying on God? Am I abiding? And then finally, where is, where is the love? Am I characterized by these things? If a spiritual doctor were to come in right now and evaluate my life, would these be the things in my heart that would show? This is the story of Advent. The story of love. Not our love but God's love. Not our peace, but God's peace. Not our joy, but God's joy. And not our hope, but God's hope. This Christmas season, this year, the rest of your life, do not forget these things. They are so foundational to who we are as Christians. My prayer for you is that your heart would overflow with these things. That the fruits of the Spirit would be evident in your life. That when others see you, they see Christ. And when you look at each other, you love each other as Christ loved you. By his actions, by the fact that he abides in you, and the fact that you are, as Christians, ambassadors of his love. Let us pray. Father God, Lord, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for your strength. Um, God, you are perfect and holy, God, and we are we are just not. God, we are frail human beings. And Lord, you did take to you did choose to take what is precious, holy and perfect and place it in a dirty place, God. A place that has been tainted by sin, selfishness, pride, lust, in a garbage heap, God. And you did it for love. God, that, that you would sacrifice that what was precious to you, that was holy to you, that was near to your heart, for something so common as, as me, as us. God, this is the great story of love. Lord, that we would exude this love to one another. God, that we would put others' needs above our own. God, that we would love each other so that when we love each other, inside of this body in particular, that we would not see each other, but we would see the love of Christ. 
God, again, we just thank you for your word. In Jesus' name.